0: Welcome to Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payul Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payul lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A aorg Since all of us have the Buddha nature intact within us, we are all equal. How we can practice that is addressed by Jetsama Akon Lamo in this teaching on the reality of who we are. I'm going to be brutally honest
1: um, and tell you a story about myself that is both near and dear to my heart because I learned a lot about, from it. But it's also very difficult to relate because it was a very painful episode in my life. Then I'm going to tell you some brutally honest things about you. But since I went first, you're going to have to be okay with that because I'm smiling when I do this. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. <clears throat> <clears throat> when His Holiness Pana Rinpoche, who is my root guru and the supreme head of the Paju lineage, came to America, came to this temple, particularly to confer the blessing of the Rinchen Terzat. He stayed here for four months, was it? Four months. And during this time, my other root guru, Jal Churubbache, who was also there, put a bug in my ear and suggested that I ask His Holiness to go to the Vietnam War Memorial and to pray for those soldiers who had died, um, or those people who had died at the, uh, in the war. Jal Trempeche, as a way to, to tell you this story, has is, is actually he's been in America quite a long time, and he's come to really understand America and Americans, and he really loves us. Um, has a great respect and for us and he's actually uh, really studied American history and he knows something about it and he watches the news every night and he's become interested in us as a people and as a nation. And he has a great deal of compassion for our particular brand of Americana suffering, which we are so proud of. And um, <clears throat> he... Uh, so he, in his great love and regard for Americans, he made the suggestion to me, and I really took it to heart because um, I was there, and I had friends that died in the Vietnam War, and I marched against the Vietnam War, and I was very much involved with the entire process. I remember uh, seeing uh, the, the demonstrations and seeing the demonstrators hurt and had have their heads bashed in and so you know no one lives through that period at just the right age without being deeply affected by it and I was very much affected by that war and so when that happened uh, that the children Rinpoche suggested I asked Pana Rinpoche to do this I thought yes this is great yes I have friends that died there special friends of mine and and I really feel for all the death that happened at that time and that is a crucial time in American history and yeah I really I feel connected to this and this will be to me like a celebration like a a real connection a real coming home a real event that something that it was something something that was an event that I lived through that was so near and dear to my heart that that affected me so much that really shaped many elements of my personality that somehow it would come to an end By his holiness, you know, praying for them. And he's my root guru. And what an amazing circle of events. Wouldn't that be meaningful? Well, yes, she is a sucker for meaning. Anyway, I went to Panarampache. And I said, Panarampache, I mean, did three prostrations, all the traditional things. Did three prostrations, gave him a white scarf. said to him, "Um, I... Would you please do this? I didn't tell him that this was a request from Jal Trump Jay because if I had told him that, the whole thing would have come out differently. But I just told him from my heart that I asked him would he please come and pray at the War Memorial and do a puja there for the people who had died in order to eradicate their suffering and blah, blah, blah. And this is very important to Americans, very important to me. And I went on and on and on in my extraordinarily eloquent manner. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me like, really? (laughs) I'm so surprised. Um, And I just really asked him from my heart, would would he please attend to this and take care of this? As, As my root guru, I would be so proud. It would seem so meaningful to me. And he looked at me, and his eyes got narrower and narrower and narrower, and the little pulse at the side of his head started to pulse, and I thought, oh, God, I'm in for it now. Mm -mm -mm. Now, I have to tell you, Panerimbache is known to be a very wrathful Lama. He's not angry in an ordinary sense, but he's wrathful in an enlightened sense. And when he's wrathful, it really changes your life. I mean, it's not like when an ordinary person gets mad at you. It's like sitting in front of the Memrex commercial, you know. (laughs) it blows you away and it changes you and that that is precisely what happened to me at that very moment my entire life was changed he said to me how do you dare now this is the painful part call yourself a bodhisattva how do you dare single out one period of time and one nation's problems how do you dare call yourself a representative of the Dharma, and I went. I, but I it was, I a lot of them, but they died. Just one, and I. And he said, Think about cyclic existence. Think about in this that of this universe, there are three thousand myriads of universes. Think about this planet. Of this planet, in all the galaxies, how many planets are there? Think about the sentient beings. Think about the countries of the world. And he proceeded to tell me a story in which um, as he, as the Chinese were forcing the Tibetans out of Tibet and were taking over tibet, that he had to leave Tibet in a hurry and climb over mountains and take with him thousands of people, most of whom died and and uh, Although he left Tibet with thousands of people, he came to India with something like twenty or just a few a handful of them that they all died in en route in trying to escape um And he told this story uh, that as they were dying, his own people, his own students, who were completely dependent on him, as they were dying with their bodies, you know, cut open with bullets, as he was running, they said to him, please, Rinpoche, come back and do poa for us. You know, give us the prayers for death. And he had to step over them to run and the reason why he had to run was because he held in him empowerments and transmissions that only he had and if he were to not if he were to take the chance of dying himself and not confer those transmissions they would be lost to the world and so many uncountable sentient beings would not be able to receive the benefit of that teaching And He said he described that crying and sobbing He had to abandon his own students. Of course. I know that Simply by calling out to him they were liberated I know that from my heart and I know that his power is such that all he has to do is think of them and they are liberated Yet he was not able to give them any comfort He didn't truly abandon them. He was only not able to give them the comfort that they deserved at the time of their death. And he said, I had to make that sacrifice. How How is it that you are <coughs> aligning yourself with the idea of being an American to the point that you think only of this war and not of all the other wars that have happened during the time that, that Earth has been? And of that, how, why is it you've forgotten the other realms of psychic existence? How is it you have forgotten the lower realms? How is it you've forgotten all of the other people? and all of the other kinds of sentient beings that there are and you know as he was blasting me I could hear myself quite frankly defending myself in my mind and I was saying "But I haven't really forgotten them I really do practice for all sentient beings I really do my whole life is about that I really have made the vow and do intend to keep the vow to return again and again and again under any conditions Until there aren't any sentient beings left to liberate. Why is he blasting me like this? And then I looked at my own mind further and I saw he's right. He's right. I did have a special affinity for that time. I do have a special affinity for this country. I do have a special affinity for my students. I have a special affinity for my friends. I have a special affinity for my family and my loved ones. And he's right, that under those conditions, I guess I'm not much of a bodhisattva. It may be that my intention is such to come back and return for all sentient beings, but I'm not really practicing equanimity. I'm not really seeing the equality of all that lives. And actually, and here's the part where I get to tell the story about you, That's true of all of us, isn't it? We think of our special life form as being so extraordinary. And our family, we would die for our family easily. Does that mean that we're compassionate? No, it means that we're attached to them. Actually, I was thinking about something else that happened. In fact, it happened last night. It made me think that maybe I should talk about this today. I went to check on my daughter while she was sleeping and um, when I went to check on her I noticed that crawling on her pillow next to her, now this is going to sound gross but this is the country, there was a tick, you know a tick and I remember looking at my sweet little baby You know, and looking at this horrible bug and thinking, get away from my baby, you nasty bug. I mean, not in those words, of course, but I did pick up the bug and think that it was probably one of the most miserable life forms that it would even consider taking a hunk of my lovely child. And then I realized I was doing it again. Because the Buddha teaches us that all sentient beings have been our kind mothers. And that means that all life forms are equal and that we ourselves can be born as any life form according to the karma of our mind, according to the fabric of our mind. There are many stories in in Buddhist teaching that say that um, you can can really favor your family and really love your family and then uh, they can be reborn as the dog that you kick in the next lifetime. There are many stories like that in Buddhist teaching to try to teach us of the equality of all that lives. And I was thinking about that um, little tick. You know, I like to think that I'll be able to help my daughter practice Dharma and liberate her mind to the extent that she will not be born as a tick in the next life. I like to think that's possible. But let's say it's not possible. Let's say, and it's theoretically possible, that she would take the form of a tick in the next life. And let's say in the next life I'm not so fortunate as to meet up with that tick before I met up again with Dharma. And let's say the tick was then my daughter. And let's say I picked up my daughter and squished her for biting the tick. You know, we have to think like that. We think to ourselves, oh, no, that's silly. I'm, I'm so great now. I would never be reborn as a tick. Well, you know you have to think again <laughs> and the Buddha teaches us that we're not all that great the Buddha teaches us that the karma that causes the rebirth as an animal is the karma of ignorance and not understanding and dullness and slothfulness and we all have it and the karma that causes us to, reborn, to be reborn as in the hungry ghost realm is the karma of grasping greed and desire and we all have that the karma that causes us to be reborn In a hell realm or a hellish realm, a lower realm, is the karma of anger. And we all have that too. So we don't really, in our short-sightedness, get the big picture. Instead, we remain very attached to those that are close to us. And the reason why we actually remain attached to them is because we define ourselves through our relationship with others and the bottom line of that attachment is the belief in self-nature as being inherently real not the awakening to the primordial wisdom state which is our true nature the Buddha teaches us that in the assumption of self-nature we must always segregate self from other and we must always define other and react toward other therefore there will always be beings in our lives by whom we are repelled toward whom we have great respect there will always be beings in our lives that we have very little care for, very little consideration for. And then there will also be those in our lives that we have high regard for and would do anything for. And we we always have special special interests. Some of us really want to um, align ourselves with the Tibetan situation and take care of the Tibetan situation and try to help Tibetans. And some of us really want to Align ourselves with uh, the the plight of the Native American Indians some of us really want to um, You know uh, practice uh, uh, the holding to civil rights and 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 uh, and uh, try to benefit the um, minority groups in America Some of us are animal lovers Some of us love children Some of us prefer sophisticated, educated people to ignorant, poor ones, or vice versa. But whatever it is, it isn't really about compassion. It isn't really about giving all that you have with the understanding that all sentient beings suffer too much, and with the understanding that they are equal, that they are absolutely equal. It's really about defining me. In defining me and liking and not liking and being close to and being repelled by and viewing things in different ways and having a cause and having meaning and having a rap and having a discourse. Something that you can relate to. We actually define ourselves. Particularly so in our relationships with our families. In our relationships with our families, we pull around ourselves a tight, comfortable little circle of love. Or if not love, at least interaction. (laughs) Perhaps strong and sometimes either passionate or anger filled interaction. And that interaction defines us, it tells us something about our struggle. Tells us something about our passions. Tells us something about the way we feel. Lets us know who we are. Reminds us constantly. Our family become a constant mirroring of where we're at. And we're comforted by that because we can always look at ourselves that way. And in looking at ourselves, we can remember that we live and therefore not panic. It's all about survival and it's all about clinging to self as being inherently real. True compassion really is based on understanding the equality of all that lives. And His Holiness Panerimpoche was absolutely correct. I was making a big deal about those things that were meaningful to me. Did those that suffered in the war and died in the war suffer more than any of the other sentient beings who have been incarnated so many times that we have all experienced war? Are they suffering any more than the ones that are alive now that we know about, that are hungry? Or the animals that are imprisoned or, or victimized by their own stupidity and dullness or slaughtered for food? Do they suffer any more? Did they suffer any more than anyone else? And in our particular relationships with our families, with our friends, the things that we go through, and we're always going through some kind of thing. You know, you wouldn't even remember that you had a family if you weren't going through a thing with them. (laughs) You know, it's just... the, The touch point is about... Me. And, you know, I, I think sometimes as I watch people organize their lives with their friends and families, that maybe we're afraid we'd fly off in a million pieces if we didn't have to be home by noon to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Or didn't have to support our family in some way or or, or, or take in account how they feel or think of what's happening there or just... Organize ourselves in some particular way or with our friendships and our, our romantic relationships are our, our, our Ordinary friendships. It's it's really like that. It's almost that we fear we would come apart at the seams if we didn't Continually define ourselves through looking outward at those things that reflect us The real problem is that with that is that we delude ourselves into believing that we are practicing Dharma, or that we are really deeply compassionate people. And for the most part, it's a crock, basically. Because we are not so much giving of ourselves as we are taking. If we become very interested in special interest situations, are very dedicated to the welfare of our family. It actually has a profound effect on us in that it influences us to think in a certain way about ourselves. <laughs> we think, oh I'm a good mother, now I know, or oh I'm a bad mother, now I know, or oh I'm a good friend, or oh I'm a very concerned individual, or I'm socially competent, or I'm socially concerned. Um, I'm aware of the world. I'm I'm into nature. I'm an animal lover. We have all of these ways of understanding ourselves. And it's about patting ourselves on the back and thinking highly of ourselves. Or the flip side of that, which is to think so much about ourselves that we punish ourselves constantly for not doing well, but we still accomplish the goal of thinking about ourselves always. Always. Instead, the Buddha instructs us that all sentient beings are equal, absolutely equal, and that each of us contains the potential for enlightenment in the form of the innate Buddha nature, the Buddha seed that only awaits our awareness. The Buddha nature, the Buddha seed within us, is the absolute assurance that at some point, we will achieve Buddhahood. We are the Buddha, therefore, but we have not awakened to it yet. And that's true of all sentient beings, all sentient beings without exception, the non physical ones, the physical ones, the form and formless, the animals, the people, the the any form that you can possibly imagine that can possibly exist, has within it the inherent Buddha nature. It is impossible for a sentient being to exist without that inherent nature and they will all become Buddha someday even that tick even that tick well in all fairness to myself I want you to know that I did give the tick a blessing and I did put it out nicely and tenderly on a leaf but not without becoming extremely angry at it for messing with my daughter so there's probably a mixed karma there Probably come back as a student that I had a real tough time with. (laughs) I always worry about that. (laughs) But at any rate, we have to think that way. We have to think about all sentient beings being completely equal. We have to practice that way without attachment. It has to mean nothing to us, and that's the point. That's when it becomes genuine compassion. When it's our family, it means a lot to us. We really want them to do well. Because it's a reflection of us. It's no big deal if we really do a lot for them. But if we love that one that we've never seen, so much that we vow to return for them endlessly, under any conditions, to scoop them out of the suffering of cyclic existence and bring them to enlightenment firmly, if we vow to return no matter what the condition might be for those that we have never seen and never learned to love that's a truer kind of compassion furthermore if we practice you know determined and forceful and, and disciplined way in order to achieve realization for all sentient beings most especially for those that we have never seen that we know only in theory are suffering that is the most meaningful kind of compassion it is true compassion now the kind of compassion that we feel for our family has for us a real drawback as well and I'm not saying not be compassionate to you I'm not telling you to be not lacking in compassion toward your family but I am saying that if you listen to what Panarampache taught me He said to me, what kind of bodhisattva are you that you think of only those people that died in the war and not of all people? So if we think of our family with great compassion, the drawback is that we are constantly enforcing our self-image, constantly enforcing our clinging to self. My family... You hear people talk about their families, and it's you you think maybe they forget that they their family has a name. Have you ever heard people say my husband constantly, or my boyfriend or girlfriend constantly, or my son, my child? I just said it about my daughter, didn't I? She has a name, you know, Atira. And that's a very difficult thing to watch yourself do. We cling so hard. And it's about us. And that the the compassion that we have, the relationship that we have with our friends, even with mutual sangha that we are used to living with, our countrymen, our children, there's a mixed blessing in working only for their sake. On the one sense, yes, you are doing something compassionate. But in the other sense, you are betraying what you are. You are forgetting the point. And the point is that you are not the person you think you are, that you have been for the last, say, 80 years at the outside, depending on how old you are. Instead, you are the Buddha. It seems that I am Akinlamo. It seems that you are whoever you think yourself to be. But you betray your nature if you cling only to that. And think that the relationships that you call your family and your friends and your comrades, that they are it for you. That clinging is the result of our confusion, of our dullness, of our ignorance. We have forgotten our nature and we have no taste of it. But in fact, we are involved in this endless turning of the wheel of cyclic existence. For that very reason, because we cannot awaken to our primordial nature, to the Buddha nature. And we have no view, we have no understanding. We see others revolving endlessly in this wheel with us and all we do is react toward them. We don't get the big picture, we don't see the wheel of suffering. We don't see that in fact they too are the Buddha and that they too cannot awaken as if from a bad dream. Furthermore, we cannot see the false of cyclic existence, we cannot see that due to this cyclic existence is filled with suffering. The suffering of impermanence, the suffering of loss, the suffering of suffering. and we seem unable to do anything about it. Because instead we cling to self-nature and try to prove it and try to save it and try to hold on to it and try to survive. Forgetting that there is nothing of us that requires survival. That the nature is undefiled and indestructible and unceasing. We try to survive. So, and this interesting phenomena is just that. It's a very interesting phenomena. And if we examine ourselves, we can really do a lot better. We can really do a lot better. We can try to develop a sense of equanimity we can try to develop an awareness of the equality the true equality of all that lives of all that lives even those of us interestingly that are animal lovers how strange we want to save a beautiful creature like a deer or a dog or a cat
2: but we don't
1: care much for little spiders and ticks do we Cockroaches, worms, leeches, tapeworms, roundworms.
2: You see what I mean?
1: But you'd love a little deer, wouldn't you? Bambi? So we're like that. We're really like that. Our goal then as practitioners is to develop a sense of Of the equality of all that lives. And the only way that we can do this is through thinking. Don't wait. Please, don't wait till the time when you love tapeworms as much as deers. Please don't wait for that. Because it will never happen. Naturally. You have to meditate on this. You have to really think about this. You have to study and understand. That the tapeworm is the same as the deer. Is the same as your child. Is the same as you. The difference is the karma of their mind stream. I have a really funny line about the Kate tapeworm, but I don't think I'd better say it on tape. Anyway, I'll let that go. But those of you that would remind me, I have a great line for this later. It'd be an awful thing to put on tape, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> the difference between all life forms is that they actually have only a difference in their, in their mind stream, in the karma of their mind stream. Those of us that have a great deal of hatred will be reborn in a certain way. Those of us that have a great deal of ignorance will be reborn in another way. Those of us that have a great deal of greed or grasping will be reborn in another way. And the combinations are infinite and so, the, so are the life forms. So are the lives. So please think about this. Please think about developing true and stable compassion. The other drawback with the kind of compassion that we feel towards our friends and families is that it is not stable. It is completely dependent on how they act. You may have great compassion for your family, but if they cross you, forget it. (laughs) You have great compassion for your husband or wife, but wait till they give you a hard time. Out. (laughs) Forget it. You're a loser today. You're in the doghouse. We have great compassion for our children. And it's the same thing. We love them a little more when they're sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) So please think about that. That kind of compassion is not stable. It does not last. When these relationships go at the end of our life, so does that compassion. It doesn't really imprint on our mind streams. It's very little, lightweight. The compassion that remains with us and produces the karma for the next rebirth, fortunate rebirth, is the karma that is based on the equality of all that lives and the understanding of that, real altruism, real caring for others, real longing to be of genuine benefit to sentient beings, real and sincere wish to see the cessation of suffering for all sentient beings equally, Meditate on the fact that those that are your most dearly beloved could very well be a tick in the next lifetime, a real annoyance to you, or a tapeworm for whom you have to go seek medical care. Think about that. Really, you should think about that. It's not a pleasant thought, I know, but you should think about that. It's good for you, like broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) And then think about all of the different ways in which your family and friends appeal to you and think about the fact that they could very well be very foreign, very alien life forms to you in some future time. And try to develop a sense that any life form that you see from the most repulsive to the most uplifting what must have been your mother, your kind mother, who was one of the reasons why you got here. And could have been the sweetest lover you ever had or the most adorable child and love them that much, sight unseen, enough to return for them again and again and again under any circumstances until their suffering is finished. Please meditate in that way that is truly the Mahayana ideal and truly the method that purifies the mind stream and brings one closer to enlightenment, let alone the fact that it makes you happier, makes your mind more stable, you're not up and down worrying about what your family and friends are doing, you just kind of love everybody, and it uh, causes you to be generally a happier person. So think about these things, and please practice. Remember, if you just think about it and don't practice it, it doesn't do you much good. So really try to practice it. Some of the things that we have people do is to buy up all the live fish bait in the local stores. Every now and then down at Poolsville store, somebody in red robes comes down and buys up all the local fish bait. They must wonder what do they do with these things? You know, hundreds of fish. Well, what we do with them is we let them go. We bless them and let them go. And we do that with night crawlers and earthworms, if any of you are fishermen. And you go to the bait store and there aren't any more night crawlers left. Tough.
2: (laughs) Tough noogies. (laughs) Because
1: we're just going to keep on doing it. And uh, go to fish markets and buy up the animals and take them away from the fish market so they don't recatch them. Set them loose. And understand that you're not doing anything other than taking care of your family. You are taking care of the great family of cyclic existence. And we are all completely and intimately interrelated. In that way, you will never be disappointed. Loving only those that are close to you will always disappoint you. Because in cyclic existence, sentient beings are bound to let you down. Because they are sentient beings. You'll always be disappointed. Certainly, it's been my experience. I always have been. So rather than be disappointed, love completely, openly, with no regard for the response to yourself, simply because you've meditated on the equality of all that lives and you know it to be the truth. And in that way, the mind becomes stable and the joy becomes all-pervasive rather than just limited to having a good day with your friends and family please do think like that thank you very much for being here today and for being part of the Dharma family which is not better than any of the other families remember that
0: This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot